Shut up, I love it. A word whose simple invocation can create <laughs> things that are meaningless yet stay with us like pus forming and crusting into a scab. Shut up! I love it. I'm Joe Cabello. I am Sasha Filer, and this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast when we invite a special guest. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> How special could they get? They don't get any more special sometimes. <laughs> to talk about something... Someone underrated, underappreciated, forgotten, misunderstood, or just a nice guy, and we just want to talk about him. Who is here in the studio today, Joe? Here we have, I think, you know, you might even know by the aura of sound coming from the microphone because you recognize even his silence. We have meaningful silence. Seven, yeah, always meaningful. Seven time, eight time, nine Who time knows? even. Guess Jay Hunter. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank Merry you for Christmas. This is the gift. Uh, my presence is the gift to you and your listeners on this uh, jolly holiday season. Great. Are we here to talk about Santa Claus or Santa Claus of the cinema, Jay? Uh, we're here to talk about the Santa Claus of the cinema and. Um, the 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 subject today i thought that i've been on the show probably like like 5000 times right and and for a while i thought like uh, i've i've run out of all my all my subjects that i'm passionate about come come to realize like wait a minute we're, like we're, we're we're missing one of my my most favored and uh, uh obsessive subjects which is Werner herzog the great filmmaker director monumental force of nature Werner herzog Absolutely. Big name in the directing world, but also one of those names that I think maybe the kids aren't aren't keen on, right? Well, I don't know, though. Like, I, I mean, I feel like when I was, you know, in college, which was what like 50 tw- years 20 20,000 years ago <laughs> but like but but when I, when I was going to film school Werner Herzog was an obscure figure like he he if you were studying film and the history of film you certainly came across him but he he was definitely a little marginalized at, at that time uh uh, specifically, and I feel like these days because he's he's actually come into kind of a renaissance, and like people have recognized him as being quite the character and uh, the raconteur. The you know he, he's had movies that have been kind of like breakout hits, like Grizzly Man. I, I feel like like not and, and not only that he's been acting a lot, you know, in like The Mandalorian. Mm. Uh, you know, he started off. I think he did his big uh, Hollywood debut in What Dreams May Come, but uh, one but, movie I hate. Yes, exactly. Well, not many people like the movie. It kind of sucks, but uh, but you know, Jack he, Reacher. I Jack think he was the bad guy there. Exactly. Yeah. Like like he he's he's popped up in recent years. So though he's not like you know the TikTok crowd is probably not too hip to to <laughs> Werner Herzog uh, as of yet. But the but but I, I think he's he's in the zeitgeist way more than he was twenty years ago, uh, which is ironic because I mean he his heyday was in the nineteen seventies, which was you know like what is that fifty years ago? So like he he, he was really at his apex. Uh, half century ago. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, most distilled, maybe even. Mm-hmm. I but- would say, like, yeah, his his purest, like his heyday. You know, the 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 times that that cemented him into the history of film and and um, 
you know, sort of like, you know, his mythos was all created in the in the early to late 70s. And to talk about the Santa Claus of cinema, Werner Herzog, what did you ask us to do? Jay? Well, it was a it was a difficult. Who did you ask us to kill? <laughs> what did, <laughs> Who you, did ask you ask us, us to, to do? do? Uh, <laughs> no, th- it was a difficult task because because when, when Sasha kind of like it was Sasha's and she incepted it. She was like, "Why don't you do a Werner Herzog uh, episode?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course. Like, why not? I mean, if there's one thing that that I know a lot about of, it's Werner Herzog, and you know, but but then." Immediately, it was it, it was difficult to sort of parse out what you know the hosts of Shut Up I Love It should watch, right? Like it normally, I think when you do a film or a or a you know TV show or whatever, a book or or, or whatever your subject is, it, you generally watch one thing or like ingest one piece of media for that person as far as your research as hosts, two. correct? Two two things. Watch two episodes if we do a TV show. Yeah, or, or three sometimes. It kind of depends. Yeah, depends well, on length. But yeah, it's very rare to have like a uh, an artist and then have to take in all their work on the show because it's hard. Yeah, especially because Werner is so prolific. He he really he has so many different eras uh, that, that that he's worked in. He has so many different genres. Uh, he's he's got like his work is kind of bisected into you know, fiction and nonfiction. So it was very difficult to figure out, like, like I didn't want to give you guys like 12 movies to watch, which which I kind of wanted to like, like in the back of my head, I'm like, I should give them at least 12 movies. Mm -hmm. But what, but what we did was we, we, we watched, uh, uh, first, uh, my best fiend, which is a documentary that Werner Herzog made. And then, uh, I, I required you to watch, uh, Aguirre, the wrath of God, and then to round it out, I uh, chose. Uh, yeah, I, I ordered. I commanded <laughs> you to watch um, "Little Dieter Needs to Fly," and uh, kind of a strange uh, assortment of films. It's definitely sort of all revolving around like kind of a jungle theme. All three of those films, in certain ways, and and uh, you know, I thought for, I thought for a second that it was going to be too limiting in scope. Like you were only going to see this one element of Herzog, but 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 my my reasoning was that the my, my best fiend is a documentary that he made about one of his main uh, central muses, this guy, Klaus Kinski, this actor that he worked with quite a bit uh, on, on many films. And so my, I thought my best fiend was a good one to start off with because it sort of shows, um, it, you know, in the documentary, it shows many different projects that they've worked on. So you kind of get a little taste of mm-hmm. all these different films that the two of them had worked on. And then Aguirre, the wrath of God is just like the quintessential Werner Herzog movie. It's like, it's his third movie. The, the one that put him on the map. Um, the, the one that's probably his most celebrated as far as like a work of art. So I was like, we got to watch that. It's one of my all time favorite films. And then little Dieter needs to fly. It, I, I chose because it was a, documentary that he made in the modern era he's made documentaries all throughout his career interspersed with his fictional films but um i thought little little Dieter needs to fly is nice because it kind of gives you a, a a little taste of of what Werner does uh has been doing in like the last couple decades i i omitted an obvious like grizzly man i omitted because i figured a lot of people have seen grizzly man or are mm-hmm. familiar with it so that, that that was my reasoning and also us watching the klaus kinski documentary i think was a good choice because Werner is like a character in it. He is yes, yes. The, na- the narrator, like the older Werner, but there's also like a younger Werner who is in constant conflict with 
mm. Klaus Kinski. Yeah, because like part of the reason why Werner Herzog is so great, like his films alone, uh, detached from him and his personality, are great and and just like w- w- would be worthy of of obsession, obsessive study. But like Werner as a person is the other. That's why I think the the subject of this podcast is Werner Herzog and not just one of his films individually, because he is. The wildest character uh, the, I've ever come across, and like he, he's just this monumental figure that 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 um, he's he's at, at times like like hilarious and absurd and extremely intense. Uh, you know, like he, he's he just like he encapsulates so many different things. So so to me, it's like about his work, but also about who he represents as a person. Like he's almost like a work of art as a person. Well, tell uh, us, uh, how did you meet Werner Herzog? Well, I well first when I was in college, I I got into Werner Herzog. I had just heard stories and and watched you know Aguirre, Wrath of God, and Fitzcarraldo. Uh, you know, definitely watched My Best Fiend that came out around the same time. And I, I had always known about Werner because he's part of this uh, wave of filmmaking that's known as the German uh, New Wave, like German New New Wave of Cinema or whatever it's called. And like he's kind of part. There's like three filmmakers that represent that that movement in film, and that's um, Fassbender, Rainer uh, Werner Fassbender. Shout is his out. name and uh yeah the, the late fastbinder yeah. there's vim vendors uh and then there's Werner herzog there's another guy named volker schlorndorf we're not gonna talk about him. we're not, we're not, not gonna talk not about a him. friend of the show yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, schlorndorf is 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 gotten too much airtime um but but yeah so like so he he's part of this wave of like you know uh german cinema that was that was felt very alive and vibrant in in the 70s and kind of you know inspired a lot of other films and so you know, I got really into him, and when I was in film school, there was an instructor there named um, uh, Stan Brackage, and he's also famous, fam- famous figure in filmmaking. Exactly, he, he's Stan Brackage. He, we could do a whole podcast on him too. I mean, he's probably he's, will. He's basically known as the father of avant-garde cinema. Yeah. Like he, he's the he, he's the best. I like to describe him as he's like the Jackson Pollock of cinema, right? So like if Jackson Pollock is, is known for like abstraction and like, he's not making representative paintings of like fruit and portraits, he's like throwing paint against the canvas. That's kind of uh, similar to what, to what uh, Brackage was all about. Anyway, he was, he's a very influential and monumental figure in his own right. And he was a professor at my film school and he's friends with, with Werner Herzog personally. Uh, Mostly because they they the two of them uh, are were yearly were were always present at the Telluride Film Festival. So every year in Telluride, Colorado, there's a film festival. It's been going on since I believe the mid '70s, and every year that it uh, it, it occurred since the, since the inception of it Werner Herzog and Stan Brackage were there until Stan passed away right so like so they 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 met each other at Telluride every year they'd go back and hang out with each other and and like have discussions and and uh, and bond so anyway so so Stan was teaching a class about Werner Herzog uh where where we just basically watched I think we watched all of his feature films and many of his documentary films and um, you know that year, I went to the Telluride Film Festival while we were taking that class, and I met I met Werner in person. Um, I just walked right up to him on the sidewalk, and I harassed I, him. I kind of harassed him. I, I kind of ran up and said, oh, "Mr. Herzog, I like your big inspiration. Like your movies, uh, like blow my mind. Blah, blah, blah. See you later." You know, I was just trying to say hi and then run away. 
and and he miraculously grabbed like, you kinda, by the he 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 neck. didn't literally grab me by the shoulder, but he practically did. He was like, I was walking away, and he's like, hold on, hold on, like who are who are you? Are you a filmmaker? Like do you have a movie here? And he 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 struck up a conversation with me, which I thought was incredible because he, you know, here's this monumental legendary figure, and he you know here I am this like 19 year old kid, you know, just like nervous and shaking and 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 being a total fanboy, and he actually wanted to you know, have a conversation and learn about who I was. And so, you know, we ended up sitting down, having some coffee. Making and out. And we, we made out a little <laughs> bit. We got, uh, a, we got a little hot Several year long tris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but, but we, yeah, so we, we, you know, I met him and we talked about a million things. And um, coincidentally, because Stan was teaching this Werner Herzog class, he made, an, he doesn't usually go to universities and do these kind of things, but he made an exception. After the film festival, he came to Boulder and, and, hung out for a week basically with this class like so i i got to not only meet him in telluride but i got to spend like five six days every day hanging out with Werner herzog like on campus it, it was absolutely incredible and it completely changed my life and i remember at that point in my life i was i was kind of debating whether like what i should do as a career like what should i pursue film should i i originally wanted to be a film critic i'm like should i do that should i go the academic route i kind of wanted to get into the music business as well i'm like should i play music but after that week of hanging out with Werner, he completely inspired me changed my life and made made it very clear to me that like what i should do with my life is uh, pursue filmmaking and and um you know i so he he's he's just not only is like he's so uh, inspirational inspirational to me as as a filmmaker but also as just a person who like changed my life directly so like he's 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 a very important person in my in my in my story in my journey it it is interesting to know now cuz like as i was thinking about this topic for you to love i was like oh here's this uh director who's done narrative and documentary jay right <laughs> no, no that's, true, that's true this <laughs> filmmaker who's done narrative and documentary Werner herzog it's, yeah it almost uh was grotesque i wow. haven't thought of the, it like that the similarities yeah. <laughs> yeah i haven't thought of it like that but it makes sense because don't you you jay always try to like treat like one like the other almost like yeah shooting uh scripted like in some ways it should have documentary feeling and vice versa yeah i mean i do all kinds of stuff oh, but 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 sorry. but, but I, like i'm very She's dynamic you can't pigeon you can't pigeonhole <laughs> me in my, in my what i do but no i i mean i never thought about that either but it probably had some influence on me i mean i feel like i kind of fell into documentary filmmaking just because that's what the opportunities that were like presented to me and I just went with it. Um, but, but um, you learned a lot from it. I definitely learned a lot about, uh, learned a lot doing it. And I definitely it, like the, the work that I did as a documentary filmmaker informs everything I do as a scripted narrative filmmaker, for sure. It's certainly giving me a specific edge and a specific uh, uh, persona in, in the narrative world. But, um, but what's cool about Werner Herzog is that he, um, the, the other reason I wanted, to, wanted you guys to watch like a, a documentary and a narrative film is that he's very um, adamant that like his fictional films are more like documentaries and his documentaries are more like fictional films. Like, so he, right. he, he loves to blur the lines between be, between, you know, uh, like so-called nonfiction and fiction. Um, you know, and he, why? Well, he, well, it, it actually brings me to an interesting point. I brought a little document with me. So he, um, 
in uh what is this in in the mid 90s early 90s i believe yeah or 1999 he he did this thing in minnesota he was giving a talk about a documentary film that he made called lessons of darkness and uh he was giving a lecture i think he presented the film and in lessons of darkness is a movie that he shot a documentary film quote unquote where he films the kuwaiti oil fields that were burning that saddam hussein had like lit all the oil fields on fire and they were just perpetually burning these gigantic fires and it was that there was a team of people that were there for years and years trying to put them out and contain the fires and so he shot a documentary, you know, it's beautiful. It's on 35 millimeter film. Like it looks gorgeous. The, the shots are otherworldly, but like the way he presents the quote unquote documentary, he presents it as if the people trying to put out the, the fires are aliens. Like he's on it. Like the narrator of the film presents it as if they're on like the planet Mars or, you know, like, like mm. an alien world. And these are these aliens who who make these fires only to like put them out. Like the purpose of their life is to put out fires and then start the fires again. Right. So he takes all this documentary footage that is just absolutely like jaw dropping. And then he imposes this fictional narrative over it. Right. So you're watching reality, but you're watching like a fairy tale at the same time. And so he was getting a lot of catching a lot of flack for it right at the time. And so he, when he was in Minnesota uh, doing the, doing this presentation, he created what is now known as the Minnesota declaration. And, and it's basically like a, a list of his um, ideology. It's, it's like, like bullet points of what he believes uh, film should be what, like how he believes you should live your life, right? Like, is it? It's a okay. kind of and and, and I so, might be familiar with this list hmm. from he, seeing it shared around, but it might be yeah. a different one. No, no, it's it's legendary, and it came at a time like when the dogma film movement was happening. You know, like the 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 Danish uh, Lars von Trier, Thomas Vinterberg, the the dogma film movement, which was an, again another list of like of like you know uh, uh the rules uh, of filmmaking mostly right. technical yeah like like dictants of of of, of say, saying like like we will not do this we will do this like like this is outlawed you know this is our film movement it's it's defined by these eight bullet points and so but but like so so Werner's declaration the Minnesota declaration it starts off by saying by dint of declaration the so-called cinema verite is devoid of verite it reaches a merely superficial truth the truth of accountants right and and so so, so that 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 kind of boil. I won't read the whole thing because it's just. It's but it's. I, I invite your listeners to go read it. it it's an incredible uh, uh, list of concepts. But like that basically boils it down. Was that his concept is that is that this idea of cinema verite, where like you're you're gonna shoot something and, and it's gonna explain, be yeah. What cinema verite? Cinema is. verite is this concept. It's like a theory that you can you know show truth right. Like 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 if if you're you know, you get a camera on your shoulder and you stay, you try not to interact with your subjects and you just film things from, a, from afar, you know, like, like at a distance that, that you're somehow going to be revealing some sort of truth. And so um, to, to Werner, what that kind of filmmaking is is uh, the filmmaking of accountants, basically that, that like you're, those people are trying to harvest facts, right? Like like they're trying to harvest numbers so they can log in a book and say A, B, and C happened, right? And so to Werner, the idea of truth is much more uh, important and, and um, you know, much more, um, uh, has, has much more gravity to it, right? So, so truth is, is what you get, he calls it ecstatic truth, is what you get when 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 you film something and and you're not trying to just record facts like so 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 again like the, like 
to him, it's not unethical to film a documentary and then, you know, impose narration on it saying that these people are aliens. They're on another planet. Like to him, the juxtaposition of, of, um, of reality and artifice will create ecstatic poetic truths. Right. And so like he, that was not even planned maybe, but just something will come up organically from that juxtaposition. Yeah, exactly. And and he, it's mostly him like attacking these filmmakers who, who are trying to say, Hey, like we're not, we're not trying to, you know, say anything. We're just recording like reality as it's happening and presenting it to you. Cause, cause that in and of itself is, is kind of a fallacious because no matter what you do, (laughs) it's fallacious. (laughs) No, no matter what you do, when you point a camera at something and you edit something and you put sound on something, you're imposing a viewpoint uh, onto that, onto that imagery and, and, and onto that, to to that film that you're making. And so this idea that you can be objective, you know, is, is, is false, but then also Werner kind of critiques it as being like, 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 what are we doing? We're artists. Like we're not accountants. Yeah. That's not the point of, film is that's a news story could do that and still not still not give do it, right. objective truth if you're gonna actually be a filmmaker making the movie well why wouldn't you then get into the news go with the news crew and just shoot events right? yeah like like what, 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 <clears throat> one of his um one of his lines is filmmakers of cinema verite resemble tourists who take pictures amid ancient ruins of facts and then he says tourism is sin travel on foot is virtue Right. So which is what he does, which is which is another wild thing about Werner is that he he he's a big believer in traveling by foot, literally like so he he's done it many, many times. Um, he wrote a book about one one trip that he makes, but sometimes he'll he'll decide I, I need to figure something out. I have some big uh, issue going on in my in my brain or in my life. And in order to resolve it, I'm going to walk from from New York to Los Angeles. Like I'm going to I'm not I'm going to walk. I'm not going to hitchhike. I'm going to walk the entire way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, How many th- years does that take? I don't know. I don't think he's actually done that particular <laughs> path, but the, the first time he did it or the first time that he Berkeley. wrote about it was Berkeley. he, he, yeah. he, he, circ- he circumnavigated or, or, or he, he walked the, the um, border of Germany. And this is when Germany was still split up East and West Germany. And he, he walked along the border of the entire country, big. right? Yeah. It's it's big it's ass country. Pretty big. Pr- probably took him like, 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 you know, under a year to do it. And um, you know, he, he just has this belief that like, if you actually walk the earth, you know, you're going to get into all kinds of adventures. You're going to get, you're, you're going to see all these people. You're really going to absorb the world around you as opposed to hitchhiking or taking a plane or a boat. He, he's, he's like, in order to immerse yourself in the landscape and into reality, you, you must walk by foot. And, and like, you know, and again, it's something that he actually does for real. It's not just some highfalutin bullshit that he, that he the, the, the high fellatio bullshit that he, that, that, that he puts out there to impress people. Like the guy stands by his, his words. Yeah, you can't say something like that and not do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's one of the things about Werner that like is so amazing. Like I've met plenty of people that I are like heroes of mine or I look up to, you know, but and it's almost Donald always Trump. it's uh, Donald Trump. I mean, well, I have met and worked with Donald Trump. He's not uh, a hero. Senior and junior. <laughs> I have actually. I, I've worked with I worked with Don Trump, senior and junior and Ivanka. I met uh, Melania. I worked on The Apprentice long ago and they're all trash that's cinema they're all, they're all terrible <laughs> fucking people but uh but yeah the, but like that's the thing about Werner is that you know 
you you might meet someone that you look up to a writer or somebody and, and like you know you're in the Kurt Vonnegut you meet Kurt Vonnegut and you're like he's kind of Vonnegut's kind of a dick and he 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 was kind of like annoying and like kind of a whiny little bastard or whatever but but like Werner you meet I spent all this time with Werner and and I couldn't believe it because I knew all the stories I knew all the 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 you know like the 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 mythos surrounding him and then hanging out with him for like several days if like probably a, a full week all in all he, the guy walks the walk and he talks the talk like quite literally like he he is he is not disappointing he's exactly who you think he's going to be and even better like he's even he's even a, a more impressive and inspiring figure in person that he is uh than his public persona is and it's not just you telling these stories. Like your friend Dave was telling us at a dinner the other day how he also randomly and his wife were hanging out with Werner at a party because they're like, oh my God, it's like some art gallery opening or something. And they saw Werner across the room and they're like, should we go say hi? Oh my God, I'm so scared. And they went over and they like got to hang out with him for like three hours just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Werner was like bored apparently. He, he was like, oh, you, he's like, oh, you're cool. Like, let's hang out. And he just hung out with them for the entire night, you know, because that's the kind of guy. And again, it doesn't make you cool just because you hang out with strangers, but like he, it, it, it's, emblematic of like what a genuine like curious person is yeah curious and 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 he's he 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 wants to just like he's just fascinated with human beings and people and and things and like you know he he doesn't have any ulterior motives he's not thinking like oh get away from me you're nobody i want to meet an agent here to help me make my next movie like he just wants to talk to interesting people and tell stories and and you know smoke a cigarette and drink some wine like out on the sidewalk rather than talk to a bunch of like you know full of shit assholes at his party joe what's yeah. your experience with Werner Herzog before this very uh, fairly limited, you know, other than uh, legend, you know, just mm-hmm. people talking about his movies or his, how he is, his uh, narration. Obviously, I'm a, a master so good of his it. narration. So it was that I watched Grizzly Man about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was kind of my only Werner Herzog of actually watching one of his films other than him acting in it before this. Uh, so. Grizzly Man's interesting too because he's also he's not only narrating it but he appears in the film so it's like, like I think in his documentary work you get to know him as a person a little bit as well right like uh, yeah, it's totally. not just about the subject but um, yeah like he tells with the moment he has never listened to this recording like mm-hmm. he's <laughs> that's not cinema verite he's going in there and like <laughs> uh, adjusting the events yeah. of the of this woman's life the subject's life so yeah, he was somebody that in all the movies like I've uh, I've heard some bit of or uh, seen clips. So, but I think I've combined like three of his movies, thinking they were the same one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aguirre, Fitzgeraldo. I and, always think Aguirre and Fitzgeraldo are the same. Film. Yeah, it, I mean they're shot in the exact same place, like in Peru. So it's it's, yeah. it's, it's the it's, same actor. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's hard to kind of separate them. I understand. And yeah. in some ways the goal is the same in the movie like almost like crossover and there would be a better life there or something he's well he's oftentimes making the same movie over and over again especially with klaus kinski it's like you know he's he's constantly revisiting these same things because he's fascinated with him as an actor and as a person and what he represents the sort of like uh, megalomania toxic masculinity 
Yeah, or or just like 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 the toxicity, toxicity of the toxicity <laughs> yeah. of the will, you know, like like a lot of people have compared Aguirre, Wrath of God, to it saying it's an allegory for Hitler, right? Like he's he's taking him down the river and everything's falling apart around him, and he he just he's like oblivious to it, and you know, like like down to the very end when he's on the raft and the monkeys, and he's he, he's he's trying to gather spoilers for Aguirre. He, he's he's trying to, to rouse the army of monkeys to to to, to take him to find El Dorado, like like the. The, the sort of like the the insanity and and the sort of like um you know like 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 the nightmare dreamscape that that like people seeking power and greatness can fall into yeah and so it was uh it was definitely interesting getting into it especially the klaus kinski factor because only a few months ago i was watching a document or like a youtube documentary about klaus kinski in the movie crawl space Mm. Uh, Nick Crawl, Nick Crawl Space, Nick Crawl Space, uh, which is um, just well known because it was similar to everything you hear in My Best Fiend. That you know he threatened to kill the director, the director threatened to kill him, all that. So knowing this documentary was about Klaus Kinski, I was very excited uh, to watch it because I had even more like backstory of this guy he wasn't just uh, that's it i i've never heard of the documentary i kind of have heard of the movie but um it's just a you this youtuber i wish i could shout them out friend of the show uh but they do really good uh you know 30 minute breakdowns of, mm-hmm. of movies and situations but and, so yeah this was my my first foray really sitting down and watching his movies and since the ratings will be eventually about Werner herzog not his movies what did you think of all these movies uh, so my best fiend, I was confused about for this one reason. It's that I couldn't understand until like the end if this if Werner Herzog was making a commentary on himself through Klaus Kinski. I thought maybe that was what was going on mm-hmm. with it. It there's almost like a megalomania to even how he's uh, talking to the two people. Who used to, who uh, uh, owned the home where he used to live with? Oh yeah. yeah, he just won't let him insert a word. Yeah, and it's it feels like a Klaus Kinski, not you know one to one, but it's like the same kind of megalomania of yeah of something. Jay, like Jay Hunter, a little bit, and yeah, like, everybody like, is that why you like this? Is yeah. You, so yeah, yeah. I found it really interesting for that, whether or not that's uh, intentional or. It's just natural because he is such a character in that movie as well. And it's such a, he's almost equally the subject of the documentary as Klaus Kinski is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right in, in that observation. I, I mean, I, I think Werner would be the first person to point out that to, to, to say like, well, you know, we're one in the same in a lot of ways. It's like they're mirror reflections of each other, but they're both like egotistical megalomaniacs just one one person is prone to complete psychosis and the other one is prone to just Getting like like deep seated thought and and, and 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 sort of like like druid like uh uh calmness uh, you know in a certain way like that that you know but but yeah i i mean you know certainly it, it you have to be an egomaniac to put yourself in a documentary especially like one about yourself but like right. but like to insert yourself in your movies constantly i mean that is some sort of um uh you know 
like evidence that you're that you're a narcissist of some of some type but it, but it's like you know whereas klaus kinski is like a malignant narcissist Werner Herzog is more of a benign, uh, benign, benign narcissist. Yeah, and just something about putting everybody in the position with Klaus Kinski over and over again. It's like, yeah, he. It's like a benevolent god who's just like, all right, tornado, you gotta, you gotta put well, a tornado in this city sometime for sure. But and a lot of criticism of Werner Herzog that I think is somewhat legitimate is that he. I mean, he'll always tell you when asked this question that like everything he does is safe and he's not putting people in harm's way. But you see the shots in the movies and you're like, this is dangerous mm-hmm. as shit. Like if something were to go wrong, people would die and bad things would happen. And you know, he, he, he's, he's like, you know, because he, he, he's not irresponsible, I think is why he hasn't had any big, big tragedies happen. Uh, you know, on his, uh, on his film productions, but like he's constantly putting himself in danger and thus everybody around him in danger. Um, but, but again, like, I think there's a great, there's a great line in my best fiend when, when he, he's telling a story about Kinski and, and he like grabs him and he's looking in his eye and he, and he says, this film, the film is more important than our personal emotions, you know? So mm-hmm. like, like th- this idea and that, that I always felt was a very inspiring as like a young aspiring filmmaker, uh, the, the, you know, this idea that like, like the, the screen image is so important that like, if you get beat up and suffer and, and have some sort of like really unpleasant time, like, you know, you, it's, if you walk away with screen images and you walk away with a movie that that, that is important, it, it makes it all worthwhile. Right. So like, it, it always gave me this kind of fuel to, to, um, uh, torture you know, others. Keep not torture <laughs> others, but but just, he, here's what I did. Here's what I took like his his um, you know that 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 philosophy and applied it to myself was that that I, I would always think because like when you're making films, you're working on film productions, it can be oftentimes very miserable and uncomfortable. And uh, I always like in the early days, especially I was working on all kinds of stuff. You're just getting the shit kicked out of you. You're getting you're in unsafe conditions. You're getting just you know, cooked in the sun all day, paid barely any money, fed ter- terrible food. And, and it can be very miserable. And a lot of people don't like filmmaking for that very reason, because mm. it, it's rather uncomfortable for, for a large majority of it. But like it all, I always was able to keep a perspective on it because I would think to myself, you know what? Werner has gone through way worse than what I'm going through right now. Well, like, like what I, would Jesus do? Yeah. I would think like, what would Werner do? And, and I would just, I would just think, you know, like he, he, one time he told me this story because when I first met him, I, I, I said, I said to him, like, I was just such like a precocious person. I, I, I said, Werner, like, I'll do anything for you. Like, I, like we, I want to work with you. I'll shine shoes for you. I'll be your shoe shiner on this, on the set. You know, I kind of said a little tongue in cheek, but I was also serious. I'm like, like, I'll like, I'll fucking like, like peel potatoes for you. I'll shine, shine your shoes. And he kind of grabbed me and like looked right in my eyes. And he's like, Jay, he's like, there are no shoe shiners on my films. He's like, I shine the shoes. We all shine the shoes. And, and, and he told me this story story that I'll always remember, which is when he was making the, the film Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski, uh, the, 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 there was like this gigantic scene they were doing with like 200 extras and like, they were just like, were understaffed and it was very chaotic and there was, everyone was working their ass off and, and like, you know, 200 extras and 50 crew people or whatever, 20 crew people were all sharing this one bathroom that had like a couple stalls in it. Right. And, and so, so they're and they're in this remote area and like in Bavaria or whatever. So, so that like everyone's sharing like two, two, 
toilets basically and the toilets overflowed and like the sewage was coming up and the entire bathroom was he he said like like ankle deep in sewage and and, and so it was the night before that, but like every, no one could fix it because everybody was doing a job. Everyone was trying to make the film, you know, for Werner. So, so he, he's like, he's like, Jay, he's like, I spent all nights. He's like, I unclogged the toilets. He's like, I took buckets of sewage out to the bathroom. I cleaned it so that we had toilets. And, and, and he's like, I didn't sleep all night. And then I directed one of the biggest scenes in the movie, you know, the, the, the next day. And he's like, he's like, why did I do that? He's like, cause I had to, he's like, because if I wasn't going to do it, then we would all suffer it. And so like, he was, a you know, um, a lesson to me, which is, which is that like well, the great part about filmmaking in my mind is that like all you, you just need to get the shots in the can. And like, sometimes the director has to unclog the toilets and get covered in shit and piss, you know, uh, like in order to make it happen. And, and so, you know, it, it's very sort of humbling, but, but it's also inspiring at the same time. Like, you know, I, I just, I just love that idea. Like when I'm on the film set and, and, and you know, some shit's going down, it's like dive on the ground and start picking up like, you know, like, like vomit or whatever's going on. Like, mm. you know, get your hands dirty because all the only thing that matters is the screen image. And that's what you're there to get. And there's no like, like this idea that there's a hierarchy and there's people that are above others is, is an illusion. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a point, it's a virus. If you start buying into that, unless you acting as a dog, then you don't understand that. And you just try to do your best. I'm talking about humans only. <laughs> you if you're a dog. When you shouldn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Shark, uh, did not on his TV shoot our dog. he, he tried to give his all, but there are certain things that he just, he was not like living by the Werner Herzog, you know. Code of ethics. Code of ethics. He, he gave up <laughs> on a couple of things. Well, we can't fault Mr. Shark because he is a star. Um, you know, and, and but the and, crew is and the director is who, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I also believe that, like, like with the, I mean, I, you want the actors to give their all as well, obviously, but they're doing something different. Like, I think when you're when you're in front of the camera, the, the demands of you and the expectations are completely different. Like, when you're behind the camera, you can be covered in shit and piss. And as long as you get the shot, the actor that's all clean and in their wardrobe and does the scene right, that's mm -hmm. all that matters is what's in front of the lens and behind the lens. You, you just do whatever you can do or whatever it needs to be done to, to get it done. And, and, you know, I think Werner just lived his entire life like that. And, you know, like it's one small part of who he is, but I find it incredibly inspiring. Like, and, you know, I never worked with Werner Herzog. I, maybe I will one day, but I'll always take that lesson to the grave of like, of like the, the idea that Werner was just, was just cleaning shit and piss all night. You know, like, like he, he wasn't like, I'm the director. I need to sleep. I mean, like, you yeah. know, most people would maybe help out and then be like, listen, I need to go to bed. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do the job and we're all here for nothing. But he's like, fuck it. Like, I, I, I can go without sleep. I can get this done. I like I like people need to go to the bathroom. Like, I need to make that happen for them. And, you know, so 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 that's what I'm saying. Like, he gets criticized for putting people in dangerous situations sometimes and 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 seemingly irresponsible situations. But he would he but but he really cares about people. And I, I don't think he would ever do anything that would that 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 is truly, you know, like irresponsible or well, dangerous. Little Dieter Needs to Fly has a little bit of a different situation in terms of Werner torturing people. And I'm saying it with the kindest tone <laughs> of voice. But right, he is yeah. putting uh, the subject of the documentary in what probably would cause him PTSD for days, weeks, months afterwards. 
Yeah, but but I, I, I we're referring to like when when Dieter gets tied up and they kind of run through the jungle reenacting his prisoner of war experiences, and he at one point he kind of looks in the camera. He's like, "This is a little too close uh, to reality." He's like, he, he, "You can tell he's reliving these crazy traumatic memories that he experienced." But but I, I think also. I think if he if he looked at Werner and said I can't do this, he Werner would have said, "Okay, well, we're not doing it." This I don't think he has the capacity to tell. This is the person Verne who survived. <laughs> he doesn't say, "Okay, I've had enough." This is not. The but kind but, of but he's also participating in in the documentary. Like it wasn't like they just sprang that on him. Like like start tying him up and start running. Like they they had a conversation. Like we're gonna do this, okay? <laughs> like like we're gonna we're gonna reenact this. Like I'm sure he said, "Like are you good to do this?" And he he agreed to it. You know, so so it's not that Werner doesn't push people to their limits or like or or asking extraordinary things of people but but I I think if if Dieter were to look at him in the eye and say I'm not doing this he wouldn't argue with him he would just say okay we're not doing it then like you know but 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 he he you know it can easily be abused this position that he is in because if I were in Dieter's position, even if it was causing me physically physical harm, I would probably say I'm going to do this for Werner. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck myself up because I, because I, because I love Werner, but that that's also what you do as a director, like, like directors or filmmakers, artists inspire people to go above and beyond and, and get, you know, like, like, dig into this poetic ecstatic truth that, that he's after so um you know i i think if if Werner herzog were you know uh like like brett ratner like i don't think brett ratner would Shout have w- would have convinced a dieter to to get tied up and dragged through the jungle but like brett ratner is a piece of shit and Werner herzog is a, a maestro yeah there's trust put in and also dieter is a very unique person overall and you could see with the uh early interviews when he came back uh that they they show clips from and he's the same guy just kind of like laughing about it it's incredible smiling with the biggest smile after being a prisoner that's who he is i don't think that's going to show that he wasn't traumatized or hurt by this but i think he's also is kind of aware of what happened and what the that artifice, means like yeah. oh like this is ridiculous it sucks so bad isn't that kind of like funny that it sucks He's so bad he amazing. understands that yeah i th- i mean i would say that's probably one reason why a, a person can survive what he survived through it, like 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 it takes a certain personality and a certain person who can see the brighter side of life you know to to survive such a horrific nightmare experience um, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that like, you know, a couple months after he gets he, he, he gets um, uh, rescued and he's had some food and he can kind of laugh and smile about the experience. But because that's the kind of person that survives that the kind of person that can't do that probably perishes in the jungle at some point. Like, you know, he's describing how, you know. They're catching rats in the latrine and cutting them up and, and eating them raw. He's calling it lucky. He's yeah. calling it being lucky. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 like e- eating like rotten deer meat that the that the that the prison guards like 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 have to cover their nose because it smells so bad. You know, the kind of person that can get through that is the kind of person that can smile about it when they're recounting it. And I mean, I think that's why Little Dieter Needs a Fly is so impressive too, because it kind of starts off a little like lighthearted you're, you're like this guy's like too happy and too 
you know, optimistic, you know, and then like, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, when you really start hearing like the tale of his suffering, you're you're just sort of like, holy shit, like this guy is cut from a different kind of cloth. Like, like the, the movie kind of feels almost like it's, it's, it's sort of light and it's just kind of a light story about a guy who got captured and his plane crashed. And then by the end, when you hear the story of his friend who gets, you know, killed like in front of him and mm. you, you, you're, you're just, you're just like, holy shit, this guy is coping with this extreme trauma by sort of like just surrendering to optimism and, and, and joy and, and just saying like, I've been through the worst you could possibly imagine. So now everything else is good. And, 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 you know, and, and, and like fills me full of happiness because it's not what I went through, you know, like, like no matter what's happening right now, it's never as bad mm-hmm. as what happened before. Yeah. And even uh, Werner Herzog opens the movie by saying there are men who look normal, but underneath you don't know what they've, they've been through. Gone, yeah. They're mad with what they've gone through. And I think that's exactly what uh, Dieter is. It's like, here's the guy who, yeah, you would meet him at a party and be like, no, I assume like that guy's yeah, you know, probably uncle. silver spoon. And, yeah, he's, you know, like, he's like a rich guy. Like he has a big house. He runs a restaurant, you know, but you have no idea of this, the yeah. horrors that he kind of keeps, keeps within. And so, Joe, what did you think of uh, Little Dieter Needs to Fly? Uh, I really enjoyed it because he is such a character and even um, Werner injects himself a, a little bit as a character as well. I, I do think it's a funny movie and funny in uh, a very weird way. You know, certainly not a Judd Apatow, 40-year-old virgin <laughs> funny, but... Uh, Thanks, the, it's not a Seth Rogen <laughs> joint, you know, yeah. like... The, uh, the ending, the ending shot, I mean... It's saying something that's uh, darkly funny, you know, of these jets, this miles and miles of decommissioned jets and the the still like love and like childlike giddiness Dieter has at them. And it's like, okay, this this is kind of taking a, a sense of humor approach to it. Yeah, I think I think Werner always has a sense of humor for someone who seems like he has no sense of humor and his films right, he are seems very like, are, are darkly like intense and just macabre almost like he I think he does have a sense of humor. And I think that's why people find him so entertaining as a character because his intensity comes off as as like almost being like a caricature of somebody who's intense or something. But, but again, I, I'm here to, t- I mean, he's a very funny person. He likes to laugh and he likes to joke around. Person and, who laughs, it doesn't mean they're funny. Just so you know, yeah, somebody but, said, Oh, <laughs> she's so funny. She's laughing all the time. Sorry. I, I mean, I, I understand gladly that. take that as our third co-host. Just somebody who's just <laughs> laughing constantly. That's fine with me, but yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's not a hype man. Like, uh, uh, I'm just saying like, like he, he likes to crack jokes and smile. And, and you know, a lot of times people who are very intense like that, will never laugh like like they've never laughed in their life and they don't find humor in anything like he Werner finds humor in all kinds of things and so you know and I think he's aware he's self-aware of the fact that like people think he's fun like when he's being deadly serious you know and like that 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 scene in my best fiend when when he's like he's obviously in a really low point and he's really upset when they're making Fitzcarraldo. though they interview him in the jungle and he's like he's like klaus thinks the jungle's erotic i don't think it's erotic that like the birds are not are, are not singing they're screeching in pain he's, he's like that like that like all i see around me is the collective murder of the jungle you know like like that's funny to watch i mean mm-hmm. everybody who sees that laughs because 
he's so brutally honest and intense. He's and very I, German in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Like like like, like the, the the quintessential, um, uh, you know, dark dark German in, uh, uh, intensity. But like he, you know, I think he probably watches that and laughs himself. He's like, shit, I was really, I was in, a, I was in a bad place right. then, you know. But like like there's something about that that stark sincerity that Werner. Uh, projects and embodies is is at one point like like uh fascinating and, and inspiring and it's also hilarious at the same time mm-hmm. yeah it feels like it comes from a true place i can relate to it too because i'll often uh kind of express something with a lot of uh maybe passion or words that are kind of overdone for what you're talking about like oh i think black licorice is so bad that i say it's you know, similar to what Werner Herzog said about the jungle. Yeah. It's like, no, I did feel that those were honest feelings, but mm-hmm. I also recognize that it's kind of ridiculous hyperbole. that I'm using that hyperbole. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about just his fiction movies, Jay, like his scripted movies? Um, are they kind of, I don't know. Like I, you said something before outside of this podcast that they're, harder to come by in terms of quality well i think like he had his in his golden years which is like the early 70s to like the probably early 80s you know like he had this this era where he made really great fiction films he was making great uh, documentaries at the same time, but like those didn't stand above the fiction films, the narrative films. And then I think as he's gotten older, his fiction films have kind of nosedived in terms of quality, um, and and his and his nonfiction films have just skyrocketed in terms of quality. So I think I think you know he doesn't do narrative films that much anymore. I mean he he does one every once in a while, and it's always a little disappointing. Well, Bad and Lieutenant we liked a lot. I think Bad Lieutenant Port of Call Nicholas New Cage. Orleans uh-huh. is is one of one of the exceptions. That's that's probably his best narrative film of the last you know half of his career um but like but 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 again like he he makes you know the movies he makes now are traditionally more more documentaries the the ones that get the popularity the the grizzly man the cave of forgotten dreams um the you know little Dieter needs to fly like these are these are the movies that i think you know he he's sort of fallen into like he started off as this amazing narrative filmmaker and then he 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 kind of like peaked out and now he's just an amazing nonfiction filmmaker and again like the fact that he blurs the lines between fiction and nonfiction kind of make it make the the distinction or the 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 categorization of the two um, irrelevant like like we were talking about like how he 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 brings artifice to documentary. Um, you know, he like in Lessons of Darkness, the Iraqi oil fields movie in Little Dieter Needs the Fly. There's a moment where I don't know if he he probably told me this, but he, I think he said it in interviews, too. But that, that you remember in the beginning of the film, Dieter's like leaving his car and he opens the door and closes it a couple of times. Then he goes into his house and he mm-hmm. opens the door and closes it like a neurotic OCD type of thing. So apparently that was the Werner's idea. Like he didn't really do that. Right. So like so. So but like he he was obsessed with doors. Like he has these paintings that he made of doors all over his house. Mm-hmm. And Werner sort of suggested like, like, well, what if you're we see you walk into your house and like you 
you open the door several times um, because you weren't able to open up doors, you know, during this horrific p- part of your uh, of your life. So like, so you know, he suge- suggested it to him, and Ver- and Dieter was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And he kind of, you know, when you watch those scenes, knowing that you can kind of tell, like, oh wait, he's like faking it. This isn't real. But but again, like Werner, it's not like this is a secret that he's trying to hide. Like that he pulled one over on us. He he he's fully ready to admit, like, oh yeah, no no, I faked that. Like that that, that was all that was false i added that that's not real but but in his mind it enhances the story that he's telling and the you know it 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 attains that poetic ecstatic truth that he's after and so whether it's true quote unquote or not is is irrelevant or whether it's factual like to him it's true but not factual and like he doesn't care about facts um, and, and, you know, it's like you don't want every documentary to be like that because you, you could easily, you know, be like like some kind of like like Nazi propaganda film is doing something similar in a, in a lot of ways. If you break it down to it, like they're, they're distorting facts to, to create like false truth. But like in the hands of a true artist, I think it's completely legitimate. And, you know, the the, the movies of Errol Morris, um, it, like Errol Morris was like uh uh, a friend of Werner Herzog's in the late seventies. And he wasn't, I think he was a music major at the time. Like Errol Morris didn't even, wasn't even making films and he became friends with Werner and like Errol Morris told Werner, like, like, I think I want to make a documentary. I think I want to be a filmmaker like you. And, and Werner said like, like if you, uh, yeah, g- good luck with that. Like you're not a filmmaker. If you make a feature film, I'll eat my shoe. And 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 he said okay like and then he Errol Morris made his first feature film and then there's a, a short documentary about it called Werner Herzog eats his shoe and so he 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 delivered on the promise Errol Morris made this movie I think I believe it's called Gates of Heaven his first film and Werner like they did a big to do like they rented out an auditorium and they cooked his shoe and he literally ate his shoe like on camera and it it looks pretty unpleasant but he but but he he came through with his promise he's like well I. I, I told you I'd eat my shoe, so now here I am eating it. And Making more content. Yeah, out of it. exactly, exactly. But you know, like, like again, I think Errol Morris is a different documentary filmmaker. But he, Errol Morris, has often been critiqued for making reenactments. You know, like especially in like the Thin Blue Line, he'll add artifice. Like he'll shoot sort of these heightened. Um, scenes that, that are recreations or they're just dreamlike visions from, you know, that, that aren't strictly documentary um, and inserts them into his documentary films. But again, he's, he's taking that Werner uh, ethos and, 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 you know, going in his own direction with it where, where, where it's like, Hey, I, like I'm not trying to pull one over on people and lie to people, but if I want to make, if I want to insert this like this like dreamlike sequence into my documentary film, why not? Because I'm making a film. I'm not making. I'm not making a history book. You know. Yeah, and I, I feel like that is a, uh, a wrong direction. A lot of people who watch movies go into, and what they look for is, oh, is this movie showing truth in the way that like does this seem like it's a snapshot of reality, but mm-hmm. is fiction. You know, whether they're critiquing the acting or the directing or the script itself. And I think I'm more critiquing uh, a Western film than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you even have Klaus Kinski, his uh, Inagire, to a little uh, switch to that. I believe he studied crabs yeah, for mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And you, he's acting weird 
in that like he's leaned a lot he's moving like a crab like he thought this character was like a crab and he's gonna move around like a crab yeah Yeah. and there's you could uh say okay that's not real you know that's very clown acting Mm -hmm. but it's no it's actually hitting the truth of who that character is and i think that's just uh we are losing sight of that i think even in film criticism uh modern film criticism where you're no longer taking a movie as its whole parts to t- say something. You're trying to nitpick parts. Well, yeah, it's like people try, you know, like even in fanta- fantasy films or whatever, like there's this idea of like it doesn't it doesn't feel it's not representative of reality. And like to me, if a film is trying to represent reality, I want it to feel very real. But at the same time, if a film is is being poetic, you know, with its representation of the film reality, I'm fully on board. Like you watch a movie um, like Mandy or another Nicolas Cage movie like Pig. Like, like, like have you seen Pig? Yeah. The, yeah. So, so, so Pig is ridiculous. It's like there, there's like this underground fight club of culinary people in Portland. And, yeah. you know, I think yeah. a lot of people watch that film and they go, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. But, but it's like, it's not yes, supposed to, of course <laughs> it would never happen. It, like, like we're, we're in a dream We're we're in, we're in a film world. Like to me, to me, like I just want the film to create a, to create its own reality with its own set of rules. And whether that's the rules of our real world or whether it's an entirely uh, constructed set of rules, I just want it to be true to that reality of the film. Not random. You know? Yeah. Maybe weird, but not random. Yeah. And, and, and it's bad. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But, but like, but, but like if the, if, you know, a lot of people can say like David Lynch feel, films feel a little bit random, but I think he's in most of his movies, he's, committing to like a dream logic right so like it does feel random it feels unified though and he talks about unification as the main field of unification he literally actually it's david lynch's like favorite thing he talks about in his book um which is connected to meditation and all other stuff and like things being interconnected so actually when you watch david lynch unlike other people who are trying to be david lynch his film films feel very like in the flow like there's the flow connecting at all like they're adding to each other yeah they're adding to each other but if somebody's trying to be like david lynch without actually believing in like that they would not be able to handle it well and i would say like the common a common uh thing we laugh at in movies is uh the hero knocking out somebody Mm -hmm. and with one punch you know like the henchman goes down and we've we've all punched somebody they generally oh, every don't day. get knocked. Yeah, sorry, Jay, that you take the brunt of that. Uh, I, I take a lot of abuse, but I do like a man, like a man, because it's to get the shot. Uh, but you have those. It's not a legitimate criticism in uh, most movies that use that because they're trying to show this overall theme and story of the powerful. You know, the heroic. Um, but then you see something like that happen in a movie that's not about heroism, not about anything. Maybe it's even about just a, a domestic abuse or a robbery or something. And then you're like, that doesn't feel mm-hmm. true to it because this isn't. So there's these weird like kind of uh, unification is a great way to put it because the the movie's overall truth has to sum up to those those different parts. Yeah, exactly. And it all comes down to this concept of truth and truth being 
being something that is elevated above facts and 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 above like simple representation of reality it's like truth to Werner is like this elevated like transcendent state of being where um you know and he always says poetic truth because it's like he's he's interested in in creating poetry and and not just like like you know like make a news report yeah record yeah because because the news is the news and it's like the news you know even though if you were to you know really break it down is also not objective it's subjective inherently it's nope. like it's like you don't want the news to be to, to be including you know like like distorting reality because i i think that's kind of dangerous right but but when, when it's a feature film you're you're looking at art you're not looking at news and 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 i think i think Werner's whole like jag on this is is that like there's this there's this sect of documentary filmmakers that that, that are that are 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 obsessed with with facts and and not obsessed with with truth you know like whether that's ken burns you know ken burns is another person who was at telluride every year and they, and they know each other and i think i think Werner's had a lot of debates with ken burns and you know i think i don't think he has a problem with ken burns really and ken burns doesn't have a problem with Werner, but they they are clearly on diametrically opposed ends of the spectrum in terms of like what a documentary is yeah you walk away from a ken burns documentary like oh that's uh what happened in vietnam you walk mm-hmm. away from little dieter needs to fly and you walk away with like, Oh, this is like a human experience of how we deal with pain. And, uh, yeah. You walk away from little Dieter thinking like, 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 like I just, I just watched like, uh, like Werner's dream. Like I, 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 I got to, I got, I got to mingle in the consciousness of Dieter and Werner and, 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 and that's what that experience was. All and got about. something true out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, there's, there's that, le- and again, there's like, you, you get like here. There's, I'll read another little section of the of the Minnesota Declaration. Okay, so here he says, there are deeper strata of truth in cinema, and there is such a thing as poetic ecstatic truth. It is mysterious and elusive, and can be reached only through fabrication and imagination and stylization. Right, stylization. Yeah, form yeah. in the service of the content. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, th- there's just so much to be like, it's get again, like, I don't want to be Werner Herzog and copy his moves, but there's just something about what he stands for and his philosophy. And the guy lives by the, by the sword. Like he, he, he has this declaration and the guy, it informs like not only his filmmaking, but like every moment of his life, like, he, like he, he's just the real fucking deal. I mean, I mean, I wish I could be as real and as genuine as Werner Herzog. Is. Well, you are like, as obsessed with yourself as he is. True. True. So, so maybe I'm, I'm on the right path. path. There's notes of Herzog there. Joe, do you think it's time to go to the ratings? I think we could get there, yeah. How does it work? The ratings work as we're going to rate Werner Herzog on a scale of 0 to 10 using something else as a reference point. That something could be another director. Or it could even be a chocolate chocolate chip chip cookie. cookie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So anything you want. And if that doesn't make any sense, I'll start. This is a hard one, it being not only a director, but a director who, like we've been talking about, is a personality on top of that. But I do have one. Albert Brooks. I'm going to go with Albert Brooks. Filmmaker who also is somebody... You could watch a talk from Albert Brooks. You could see him act in things. 
Uh, I like Albert Brooks. I like his movies. I'm going to give him a 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Werner Herzog. So uh, I'll say this. like Little Dieter Needs to Fly. I would. Uh, I texted people after I watched it. said, hey, go watch this movie. They said, who is this? I don't have your number saved. <laughs> New phone, who this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my Best Fiend it was really enjoyable, but I wonder how much it uh, robs the joy of watching the movies that it references. Yeah, um, well, the order was a little fucked up, Jay. At the same, but it is good to get a taste of all it. Mm-hmm. I think at the same time, I'll often uh, like listen to a podcast uh, like Junk Food Cinema, and they'll talk about a movie, and then it makes me want to watch it. And then the watching of the movie is much more enriched versus mm-hmm. like just watching Bats. Yeah, two thousand three's or nineteen ninety eight, I think, Bats. You watch that alone, and you're like, okay, this is just mm-hmm. fine. Then you watch it after like people have talked passionately for an hour. Mm-hmm. It's great. So I think it it does that as well. But Aguirre is one of those movies that you can account for taste and say you don't like it, but no one can say that that isn't a great movie, whether or not you like it. It's undisputable. So Werner Herzog is a 10 out of 10. Ooh! Oh, I, I, I finally just, did it. I finally Jay did just it. ejaculated a little bit. Yeah, I, I did. I broke the seal, man. I've done so many things that are ten out of tens. I've done Ween. I've done psychedelics. I've done like uh, ancient aliens. I mean, so many things. But like, like it took all this time to get to a ten. Well, I'm flattered. Yeah, and like I texted you last night. I said, "What other movies should I watch of his?" I knew that was a sign. I'm like, oh, I think I got a ten here. Yeah, right, Joe. <laughs> uh, and she so. doesn't even understand the rating system. Let's just all go back. No, no, I it. still don't. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm still confused. But I know ten is good. I know ten is good. It's good. We've had a question mark. We've had an. Eleven, I think, at some point. But we do have a ten. No, I think he's uh, amazing. I feel in so- somewhat shame for not visiting his films earlier. But I'm also one of your life short. Let me just watch RoboCop two again. You know, hey. uh, who cares? But uh, yeah, I think incredible. Those three movies are incredible. I can't wait to watch more of them, especially the Klaus Kinski. Maybe I have a Klaus Kinski film festival. Even. I- I'm I'm jealous that. Don't feel shame that you haven't seen his movies. I'm jealous that you have so many great because he literally has like 15 more movies yeah. th- that are excellent, and then like 15 more that are pretty darn good. So th- th- there's so much great stuff that you can you can check out. So I I, I yeah, one yeah, way to enjoy Werner Herzog or anybody else is to not have seen his movies before and then like see them for the first time. Uh, another way to deal with that is having bad memory for movies like myself. So I saw a lot of his movies when we started dating Jay and I, not Werner Herzog and I, that's a whole other story. Oh, Jay and I, back in the 1960s, no. Uh, <laughs> but like he sent me, that was like what his way to court me, was he sent me to New York where I lived a bunch of Werner Herzog DVDs on Amazon he ordered for me. And he was like, like, watch wow. these movies. And I was like, okay. And I liked them a lot. Like, so I watched Fiskeraldo, Aguirre, and uh, the Klaus Kinskassel later, the documentary. But I saw a few of them, and I really... And you Desperado met to him. Werner I at Telluride. Met, I haven't met Werner. Did, didn't you meet him when we were at Telluride one year? No, there was the wrong woman. Oh, it must have been that other, <laughs> other woman. <laughs> Jay has no memory. Um, but I have no memory for movies. So every time I watch a movie, it's like the first time, which is great. So I'm going to compare for me, like I have to, speaking of your personal heroes, 
I'm going to compare Werner Herzog to Jim Jarmusch, which was very influential for me. Mm. And uh, yeah, his movies are not, of course, his fiction films are not like documentaries, but some are so primitive, like coffee and cigarettes, that are like almost could be <laughs> documentaries in the sense that Used with the same on. cameras as documentaries. Yeah, the time. I mean, it's <laughs> just, uh, but like, it's also in terms of like a tour and a persona, right? Like inspirational persona. And I also, when I was 19 and I moved to New York, I told my friends who were my teachers in back in Russia, I said, all I want to do is just meet Jim Jarmusch. And two weeks later, after I came to New York, I ran into him on the street. Uh, it was hard to miss him because he's tall, wearing all black and having crazy white hair. And I said, oh my God, I'm from Siberia when I was 15. Four years ago, I wrote this like whole presentation on whatever. And so he gave me like a, like a little autograph and he was like, hey, good for you, like whatever. And then two years later, I think I told the story and shut up, I love it. Two or three years later, I saw that he had broken flowers maybe at the DGA in New York and I wanted to get in. So I pretended that I like was part of it like I got myself in and then like I I said that I can't see well and I think I had like contact lens problem but they thought maybe like I have a disability so which I didn't mean to do it but I ended up on the front seat facing Jim Jarmusch and then Dan came up and I said hey it was so great to see you talk about your new movie which I really like Broken Flowers and he said you're that girl from Siberia I remember so that was kind of cool oh, that's awesome. yeah he was also like very like kind of easy going maybe not as easy going as Werner uh, Werner Herzog so like in terms of what those his movies, Jim Jarmusch's movies meant to me and uh, his persona, I would give him an eight. I kind of he meant a lot to me, but then like later, I felt like maybe something he got like bitter or or something about the world. I don't know. I couldn't like track anymore his personality and like his uh, his influence on like younger people in terms of his personality and also like his later movies. I did not like. I did not like the vampire movie. So sorry. Um, so Jim Jarmusch is an eight, and I'm gonna give Vern fucking ten too because Ooh. he's just great. Ten, you know, ten. I mean, like I I feel like I want to watch more Werner movies. You know, and it just like, he sounds like a great guy, and I feel like I could talk to him for hours too. So I don't know. He is everybody's best fiend in some way. He he is. Wow, ten dual tens. Jay, what about you? Who are you comparing? There's a lot of pressure here. I don't know if I can give him a 10 now since it's... Uh, yeah, because yeah. you don't like to repeat tens. it. You it's expected. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to say... I, I've been trying to think of who am I going to compare him to. I'm going to compare him to another person that I met at the Telluride Film Festival um, that I looked up to quite a bit uh, and still do, but like uh, Paul Schrader, right? The 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 writer of Taxi Driver, director of many great His films. His movie we're with Cons the other day. We had yeah. an episode. Yeah. Oh right, right. The yeah, canyons. You, the canyons. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the canyons, but like yeah. you know, the, okay. like you know, <laughs> Paul Schrader's done a lot of great movies like Hardcore and Affliction and. Um, you know, first reformed recently, which was so so amazing. I've always been a big fan of of Paul Schrader, and he's a fixture at Telluride. And uh, I I approached him at Telluride, and uh, he was like signing books. He was sitting at a table 
signing his book, which is called Transcendental Style in Film, which I had read. It's like a, you know, it's like it's like a common textbook when you're studying film and stuff. And uh, he's obsessed with Ozu and Bresson. I love Ozu so much. One of my faves. You know, Paul Schrader is a genius. Like he's absolutely brilliant. He's a great filmmaker. And I'm always interested in what Paul Schrader is doing. Uh, no one. He was sitting at a table by himself on the on the sidewalk. No one was acknowledging him. I walked up to Paul Schrader, and, and, and I was I was like I was like Mr. Schrader, how like like shine like, your shoes? Yeah, I'm like similar. I'm like potato. I'm like I'm I'm like like Mr. Schrader. I'm I'm Jay. I'm, I'm like an aspiring filmmaker, film student. Like I just want to say I really love your work. And he was like, Yeah, huh? He's like, you want to buy a book? He he, 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 he he was like he's like, What do you want a book? He's like, you want to buy a book? And I was like, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I just want to say that I really like your stuff. And he kind of shrugged and was like, this sounds like me and Jason Madzukas. I'm going to bring this up, y'all. Another hero of mine. Wish I never met him. This was an exact reaction. I came over very shy in the street. I was like, I'm just such a big fan. And he was like, and like, he like, like, leave me alone. Yeah. And so, so Paul Schrader, though I still respect him and love his work and will always be interested in what he does, that meeting of him, I wish I had never met him because, because, (laughs) because I, because I'm just like, I love Mishima. I love all this stuff that he's done. But, but uh, Paul Schrader, kind of a smug asshole and it really tainted my memory him. of him and, and brought for me brought paul schrader from a nine a solid nine oh, wow. down to a 7.2 <gasps> so paul, paul schrader he could have been a nine if he was fucking nice to he me tried. but he was not yeah. he was a dick and so he's a 7.2 Werner herzog solid 10 triple tens Madzukas baby. is somewhere there on this between racks. six and a seven now exactly right yeah. like, like he, he was a 10 before, i used then, to worship yeah, that yeah. guy i used to be like he's the funniest thing that would ever walk the earth and it's like everybody can be having a bad day and be a little grumpy or something but you can tell like when someone's just an asshole and when someone's just having a bad day like like it is possible to distinguish between the two and 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 i'm, I'm gonna say like it affects my i think about every time we watch a paul schrader <laughs> movie let me watch light sleeper the other day with the willem dafoe and you know like, like as we're watching it i'm just thinking like smug asshole he's such a dick like like, like oh he, oh light sleeper just making another taxi driver huh like saying exactly he, he's re, he's recreating the end of pickpocket the brisson movie once again <laughs> like another complete recreation of this film that he loves anyway so like you know but like i'm kind of i feel like this is um this is like a like a a, a christmas gift to the listeners yeah they, yeah they got a triple 10 yeah. on christmas yeah. triple that's 10 what they really wanted. that's what they wanted Go, uh, instead of watching Big Mouth with Jason Manzoukas, go and watch uh, a whole bunch of Werner movies. There's a bunch for free, whether it's on like Pluto TV or Canopy or anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I, w- what I would say is be careful because when we watched Aguirre, th- there were only two options yeah. available. One was on Apple TV and it was only dubbed, which is like, don't what do the that. Fuck? Yeah, like, you you're watching that. a dubbed, you're watching Klaus Kinski dubbed. Are you fucking crazy? And, and, and then and then the other version was on, was on Amazon Prime and it had the wrong aspect ratio. It was like squeezed. But I will say better to watch a movie in the wrong aspect ratio, anamor- anamorphically squeezed a bit than to, than to watch a dubbed uh, uh, film. But like you know, so we, we talked about my best fiend, Aguirre, Wrath of God, Little Dieter needs to fly. There's Fitzcarraldo, Nosferatu, Fitzcarraldo, Nosferatu. There's also uh, a couple movies that he made with this guy, his other muse, uh, whose name is Bruno S. And he made two movies with him: one yes. called uh, Stroshek, and then another one called The Enigma of Casper Hauser. Mm, uh, I alter- saw that one. Alternately titled 
the best title in the world, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. Uh, like what was one of my favorite, uh, it's not, it's the sort of like in parentheses title, but amazing title. He, he has just countless, um, Wojciech is, is, is quite good. Um, uh, heart of glass where everyone's hypnotized everybody, uh, while, while filming the movie. That's absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, there's just like, like bad Lieutenant port of call New Orleans. That's Mm -hmm. another amazing one. There's, there's so, so many, even dive in, even dwarfs started small. His, his second film is fantastic. Uh, uh, very, very influential. I think, uh, um, Harmony Corinne inspired him to to also become a filmmaker. Subject, right, right, yeah, yeah. Harmony, is, did someone do directors. Harmony Corinne? Spring Breakers, Spring Breakers, Spring Breakers, yeah, yeah. Like, like, Spring uh, Harmony Corinne. Uh, two years before I met Werner, he was at um, at Telluride with. Um, Gummo and and met Werner Herzog and then ended up casting Werner in a movie he made called Julian Donkey Boy because that because again like he 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 credits even Dwarf started small as being a big inspiration for him uh, becoming a filmmaker and there's just so many I mean it, the the list goes on and on there's so many documentaries I mean you could just spend weeks and weeks watching Werner Herzog and you would not be wasting your time. Great, sounds like we're done here. Jay, is there anything you'd like to plug except your mouth? well if you want to listen to uh even listening to the second best podcast of all time uh the last hour and a half if you want to listen to the best podcast the greatest (laughs) podcast of all time uh it's about the band ween and it's called pod ween satan and uh do yourself a favor check out Werner herzog and also check out pod ween satan and ween the band well you will be checking out ween you know, naturally, naturally, if you watch Podbean Satan. <laughs> Joe, what's going on with you? Oh, check out joecabeo.com. You could get links to my Patreon and other things. I have my book, Technovirus, about a world of super powered cops who, uh, a, <laughs> you I, still I, haven't figured out your logline. I, ha- I have done written, it like three times. You, you should just be like, back I the have blue. it written down, but that's the problem <laughs> is I'm trying to remember what's written. <laughs> And then I can't remember what's Just written. Just improvise. It's basically like a sci-fi well, Blue Lives Matter, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it is not. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say all lives matter in response to that. Oh, actually. yeah, exactly. Um, Much better, right? Uh, but yeah, you could actually, on jokabea.com, it's written as I'm trying to remember it. So I would just go read the logline. Please do that, because it's great. Thank you, it is. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have Merry a nice one. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And thank you, Elizabeth Sully, for the artwork. Thank you, Mr. Owl, for this awesome track. And thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Those are sleigh bells. Merry Christmas.